I believe too much in institutions. It's, it's a flaw. Um, partly because I don't think the rich can save us and partly because I don't want the rich to save us. Mm. I believe in social contracts between citizens and their governments, between a citizen and another citizen. And I think once we give that up for something else, perhaps a billionaire trying to save us from a health pandemic or a, you know, freedom of speech pandemic, if you want to call it that, we give up all responsibility and we give up all power. My name is Adela Kochav. And my name is Mariam Waba. We are the Daughters of Diaspora. And this is an Americanish Conversation. Welcome back to Americanish. Twitter is now officially owned by Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk after his $44 billion deal was closed. Musk first made an offer to buy Twitter back in April of 2022, and since then, it's been a bumpy road filled with withdrawn offers, lawsuits, accusations, verification concerns, and so much more. Twitter was finally acquired by Elon just a few weeks ago on October 27th. Since his purchase, the company has laid off nearly half of its workforce and tried to hire some of them back because they had both axed people by accident and realized that some staff were essential after the firings took place. Elon also announced that the once coveted blue check marks were, once, were now on sale for $8. This of course caused a lot of controversy and the program was paused a few days after its launch because it was apparently getting too many applications. This topic has captivated headlines around the world, as one of the most popular social media platforms is now in the hands of one of the richest people in the world. We have a lot to break down. Um, first, I want to start with freedom of speech. Adela, um, you know I have some really strong feelings about freedom of speech, and I know you do too, and we don't exactly agree. Um, what was going through your head when Elon declared that he wanted Twitter to be the freedom of speech platform? So first off, full disclosure, I'm not on Twitter, not because of some political ideology or some statement I'm trying to make, but just because I, I never really got on there. I do have an account that's completely empty. I think I follow You have it. an account? I didn't even know that. I made an account. Actually, when we started Americanish, I made an account because uh, we wanted to promote things on Twitter. And then I was right. like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not into this. It's at Adela. <laughs> no, but don't actually pick me out on Instagram. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm not actually on, I'm actually on Twitter, but um, I was really excited when he said it was going to be a freedom of speech platform because I'm a strong advocate of freedom of speech. Um, of course, I, I do believe that there should be some limitations, but I think the line has blurred between speech we don't like and speech we find offensive and speech that actually incites and calls for violence, right? So I, I don't believe words are violence unless they call for violence. Um, and this is something that I've been pretty consistent on. Uh, what, what about you? What's your take on freedom of speech? So I think we're pretty much aligned. Um, I too am also a strong advocate of freedom of speech. Um, of course, there should be some limitations. And I think the line um, has been blurred between speech we don't like or find offensive um, and speech that actually incites violence, like you said. Um, protecting freedom of speech means protecting all speech and not just the speech we like or agree with. With that being said, I am definitely not a freedom of speech absolutist, which I think you, Adela, tend to lean 
towards absolutism and I lean a little away from absolutism. Absolutism. Um, people shouldn't be able to yell fire in a crowded theater and they shouldn't be able to incite violence against religious groups, ethnic groups, people they don't like. Um, free speech does not and should not protect hate speech. And I would even list a couple of more things in that few caveats that freedom of speech shouldn't protect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, again, that's, that's where we differ. We, we both don't think that speech that calls for violence should be allowed on the platforms. I'm a little bit more towards the absolutism where what kind of speech is hate speech and who gets to, to define hate speech, right? So, right. Um, you know, there's, there's the question always, how do we distinguish between mean, racist, and violent, and, you know, who should be making these distinctions? And I, I just want to talk about where I'm coming from. So for everyone listening, does Adela condone hate speech? Kind of. But there, <laughs> kind um, of. So if you've been following an American-ish, you know I sued NYU for anti-Semitism in 2019. And I sued under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. If you want more on that, listen to episode three, where I actually break down the lawsuit, what happened, what didn't happen. And after my lawsuit, there was an executive order that expanded the definition of Judaism to fall under Title VI. And when that came out, there was a lot of talk saying, well, now if you just criticize Israel or criticize Jews or say something anti-Semitic, it's grounds for a lawsuit. And a lot of people were completely against that. And I um, was pretty clear on the fact that I also agreed that Title VI was being misused. Um, but it wasn't just being misused for the Jewish community. Title VI was meant to protect communities from discrimination and harassment, not from hate speech, because hate speech mm -hmm. wasn't considered um, discriminatory and harassing in the Title VI context. But Title VI was expanded to include hate speech as well. And when I sued NYU, I sued under the premise, well, if you're going to protect some communities, you have to protect all communities. But if you want to have a discussion about whether Title VI should exist in the first place, I have some interesting thoughts on that, right? Um, so that's, that's where I'm coming from in that I think that the best way to fight bad ideas is with good ideas. And I think the way to fight hate speech is with other speech. At least I've been pretty consistent on this. Um, you know, we, we talked about cancel culture at one point and um, I, I even said, you know, cancel culture is, is bad. I don't think we should be banning people from platforms. I think they should be allowed to say terrible, disgusting things as long as they're not actually calling for violence. And then we can fight that with better ideas. But I know that this is, again, where we completely do uh, disagree. So what, what is your take on hate speech? Well, it's interesting that you say that. And I think, I don't know if you've convinced me yet, but in the process of prepping for this episode, and you were kind of explaining it as, I don't want to stop people from calling me a dirty Jew. I want them to be able to say it because it's what they actually feel. And then we can figure out a way to respond to it together as, a, as citizens, as human beings, as Jews, as people who care about hate. Um, you know, against hate, not for hate. Um, and I think that's a pretty interesting take that a lot of people would agree with because when you silenced hate in that way, when you shut it down in its in its uh, infancy, you internalize it or you allow the people that feel it to internalize it and then you kind of have this society where people are feeling a lot of things but they're not allowed to voice them. And yeah. you create resentment, you create, you have like an under the surface bubbling tension that really just never rises and when it does it erupts and that's when you have 
awful instances of hate. What's what's on your mind? You want to say something? Yeah, I was going to say this is the perfect example with Kanye West, right? We did a whole episode about Kanye, and in that episode I said, I don't think he should be banned from social media platforms. And here I'll, I'll say it again, I don't think he should be banned from social media platforms because as soon as you ban Kanye or Kyrie Irving from a social media platform for anti-Semitic comments, they're just going to go and preach anti-Semitism everywhere else. Right. And they're just gonna, in their mind, say, "Ah, oh, I told you, Jews control the mm-hmm. media, right? Or the only group you can't speak about." Like, and if it would have been like, for example, if they said something homophobic and then Twitter banned them because it's hate speech, they'd say, "Ah, oh, see, you can't speak about the gays or whatever it is." So yeah, like you said, like I don't want to stop people from calling me a dirty Jew. I want to call them out for calling me a dirty Jew, and right. then call them out and respond to them calling me a dirty Jew. Otherwise, they're just gonna call me a dirty Jew, and I won't be around to hear it. Mm-hmm. And how is that helpful for me? So um, I think that if Elon Musk really envisions this as a town square where people can say what they mean, they should say what they mean as long as it's not actually violent. And then they'll face their own social repercussions. Are some people going to listen to it and agree? Sure. But that also gives me the opportunity to say my piece and to actually respond. So um, that's that's kind of my take in a nutshell there. Um, but it, again, it, it takes us back to the idea of who gets to define hate? I'm, before, before I turn it to you, I'll just say legally, who gets to define hate when it comes to Twitter, right? When I sued NYU, NYU was a private school. So technically, they're allowed to do whatever they want. But because they get federal grants, they were beholden onto Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Um, but at the end of the day, NYU is a private school. And if they wanted to allow anti-Semitism to run rampant, they could have said, okay, take away our federal grants. We're a private institution. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing here with Twitter, I think. I think who gets to define the rules of hate speech? Twitter legally gets to do that. They are a private company. They do get federal uh, tax breaks. If you get any sort of federal compensation for your company, which most major companies do, then you are beholden onto the US law. And at that point, the law can step in. And, and you saw this actually with Facebook. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg kind of like wiped his hands clean, being like, oh, this is a federal regulation territory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Facebook doesn't get to decide. And like they let the government step in. Right. And it was kind of like a way for him to kind of take a step back and not have to be held accountable for things. But I think Elon Musk has made it clear that he wants to be the one running the show. And the way he runs the show is no banned accounts. So that that's been his take. But what do you think about like who, who gets to define hatred? Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting question. It's a very interesting conversation that I've I've given some thought to at different points in my life, particularly um, in college, if you know me personally, then I've probably talked to you about this or, or chewed your ear off about this. I had a, a wonderful professor at Fordham called, his name was Duran Benatar, and he quite literally one of the, one of the few people that has shaped my life and, and the paths I've chosen to take. And I became a little obsessed with him, and I took a few of his classes, but the last class I took of his was about anti-Semitism, and it kind of detailed anti- anti-Semitism from the beginning of time up until now. Um, and I feel like we're beating a dead horse with how much we're talking about anti-Semitism, but it's kind of hard to avoid when it's all around us. Um, so you'll have to indulge us on this episode. Um, so, uh, we got to the end of the class and he wanted us to try to figure out what anti-Semitism really is because it has so many forms. And then you can say this about a lot of different forms of hate, whether it's anti-Christian hate, anti-Muslim hate anti-other groups that don't have to do do anything with religion, insert your thing here and, and put hate after it, and then there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. Um, and he really wanted us to get to the core of, like, how do you define anti-Semitism, particularly who gets to say 
whether an act is anti-Semitism. And he kind of put a few things on the board and we had dis discussed heated discussions in the classroom about like who gets to define when something is anti-Semitic. And a few of the students in the class said that Jews get to decide what anti-Semitism is, right? That makes sense. They are the ones being targeted by this hate, form of hate. Therefore, they should be able they should be the ones determining or classifying when it happens and what how it happens. Um, and I kind of was standoffish because I didn't necessarily disagree, but I also didn't agree. It kind of felt a little weird to me to have only one specific group assign the responsibility and the power to assign what was and what wasn't classified as anti-Semitism. And, but I didn't say anything because I really wasn't sure where I was landing on the spectrum. Like, should Jews be the only people that are allowed to define what anti-Semitism is? Should everybody be allowed to define what anti-Semitism? The question is like, who holds the power to determine if something is anti-Semitic? Now, with all that being said, I wanna take anti-Semitism out of the equation and out of the conversation for a hot set. Who gets to determine if something is anti-Christian persecution? Who gets to determine if something is Islamophobic? Is it purely those communities? Should only American Muslims be allowed to determine if something is Islamophobic? What if I see something that's Islamophobic? Am I allowed to call it out as a non-Muslim? So the question for me, or rather the answer, or the lack thereof, is that putting the responsibility on the communities is really dangerous because not only do you create a vacuum of power and responsibility, you exclude other people from the conversation. If I, as a copt, I want every single person that I run across to be able to call out anti-coptic sentiment, to call out Christian persecution. I don't want just us cops to be able to say what is or isn't anti-coptic sentiments and anti-coptic persecution. I want Adela the Jew, and I want Muhammad the Muslim, and I want Eli the whatever to be able to identify and call out anti-coptic hate. Same goes for anti-Semitism. I don't want just the Jews to be able to, the Jews, that's a thing people are really getting into on Twitter, oh, like right. the Jews. <laughs> I don't want just the Jews to be able to identify and classify anti-Semitism. It's up to us. And I'm, I'm not living in La La Land, at least when it comes to this issue. I'm, I don't assume that everybody has the time to figure out what anti-Semitism means to them and what Islamophobia means to them and what anti-Christian sentiment means to them. Pick, a th pick one. Pick one form of hate this week that you're going to figure out what it means and you're going to try to figure out how to identify it and that be your thing for the next month where you're just trying to figure out how do you stop anti-blank hate. And that's your little passion project. The next week you can change to something else. And the following week, like make it your New Year's resolution to... Well, I think I, I really like your take because considering what we think about freedom of speech, you'd be calling out anti-Semitism on Twitter when I'd be like, uh, <laughs> I, I guess he said what you said. You know? Yeah, you'd shrug it off. You'd be like, he has the right to call me I a dirty yeah, Jew. I'd to say that. But I, I think, again, like where, where we differ is the idea of whether hate speech is free speech. Um, right, like I, wh whether or not like who gets to define what hate speech is, I think things can be qualified as hate speech but still be allowed, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it's a terrible thing, but on a social media platform. I think like, again, like if you were walking outside of Washington Square Park, there'd be people yelling dirty Jew, right? Mm -hmm. And people around would be like, oh, this guy just yelled dirty Jew. And some people might be like, yeah, she's a dirty Jew. And some people might be like, oh, whoa, maybe we should say something about this. And that's how the town square has always worked. So I think right. like that's, that's that's where we differ, right? Is in like hate speech, we both agree hate speech is bad. The difference is that I think 
it should still be allowed. It can't be made illegal. You know, you can't be put into Twitter jail. Um, and again, <laughs> it's crazy because this is coming from like an Israel activist. I'm a Jewish advocate. Like, this is what I do. This is like my passion, right? But because it's my passion, that's why I want to go out and fight it. I, I don't want it to just kind of be like siloed to the side. Like, I, I'm not a cancel culture person. But can I um, can I try to push you and change your mind a little bit here? Push me, please. The the wonderful and lovely supreme leader of Iran who calls Israel the little devil and who calls America the big devil is on Twitter, is verified, and says some pretty hateful things. What are your feelings about that? Um, I think, unfortunately, yeah, he should be able to say him. If I was on Twitter, I'd probably be following him. Um, I think <laughs> following someone on Twitter isn't like endorsing them. I think it's saying like, I want to know what you're saying. So like, for yeah. example, that, um, you know, Supreme Leader of Iran wasn't posting that on Twitter. That's all right, I can, I can guess that's what he thinks. Maybe I'll see some speeches here and there if they pop up on my feed, but I'd rather get it from the source itself. I'd rather get it from the source itself. Actually, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine about uh, Kanye West. He, he said that he was going through uh, Kanye's Instagram and he was unfollowing all of his friends that follow Kanye. So he reached out and he's like, hey, you know, I'm unfollowing everyone that follows Kanye West and I see you still follow him. Can you explain why? And I said, yeah. I'm following him because I want to know what he's saying. Hmm. I want to know what he's saying. I don't want to hear about what he's saying. I don't want someone to tell me what he's saying. I want to see what he's saying. I want to have the opportunity to respond to what he's saying. I want to have the opportunity to see it with my own eyes. I think that a lot of people are, 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 are becoming very like hearsay, right? Well, I heard he said this or he posted this. No, 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 I saw the post, I screenshotted it, I have it memorialized, and now I can speak about it because I'm not mm. getting it through all these different channels, right? I'm getting it from the source. So um, Supreme Leader of Iran says terrible things about Israel, says terrible things about Jews probably, says terrible things about America. I would probably follow him because I want to see what he's saying. I want to see what he's saying. Um, at least in the idea of the free town square. If right. we're saying the town square, I want to see the town square. I want to be in the town square. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's funny that you say, you know, he's verified, right? Because that takes me to what does it mean to be verified? We've been seeing so many fraudulent verified accounts ever since Elon Musk announced that you can buy verification for $8. So a lot of people bought verification and then changed their handles to be things that they're not. And if you haven't read through some of these, I highly recommend go home, Google, you know, fraudulent verifications on Twitter and then like, have fun and enjoy. Like some some of my highlights have been McDonald's said, proud to announce that all of McDonald's locations will now be serving beyond meat. Our meat is far beyond its expiration date. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And my, my, my personal favorite has been Coca-Cola saying, um, if this gets 1,000 retweets, we will put cocaine back in Coca-Cola. Of course, they're not actually doing that. Of course, we can look at that and be like, wow, that's hilarious and brazen and these fraudulent verifications are kind of running wild with satire. But um, it's had some real world effects, right? There, there was something with an insulin company. Can you fill me in on that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, um, well, first I want to say, as much as I disagree with you, I appreciate your consistency when it comes to, to my favorite dictator. Um, well, he's not my favorite. He's probably top three dictators for me. Top three. Uh, top three. We'll do another episode ranking our favorite dictators. Um, I appreciate your consistency because it checks out. People will flip-flop, and I was really hoping to throw you one out of one out of the loop and kind of like get you to somewhat cross over to pick to the picket line but i appreciate your consistency 
to to the pharmaceutical company. So there is a pharmaceutical company called Eli Lilly and Company, and um, I'm gonna make some assumptions here, so I hope I'm right. But they produce insulin. Uh, they are, seem to be one of the major producers. Like they have a, a, a monopoly on producing insulin. So they went and um, announced. They said in a tweet, "We are excited to announce insulin is free now." And various reactions to it but the one that is noticeable is that their stock tanked mm -hmm. and now a billion dollar company's stock tanking is a lot more than just a fake coca-cola account tweeting that they're putting cocaine back in coke this is real people's money real people's lives especially pharmaceutical company there's a lot at stake here we're talking about people's medicines people's actually livelihood mm -hmm. um so that's just one of the dangers that, you know, manifested itself with this whole verification thing. Um, and I want to I wanna talk a little bit about what verification means and what Elon did by putting it on sale for $8 a month. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, so I know when we talked about this, we, we had also some disagreements because I think you should be able to buy verification. But I think that verification should mean I am who I say I am. So now, Full disclosure, I tried to get verified on Instagram, right? Because I'm like, I post things and I'm semi-important. I have a Wikipedia page. I should be verified on Instagram. And I applied and they made me take a picture of my ID to verify that if I'm Adela, I am in fact Adela. And um, I think that the issue with verification on Twitter is that people were able to just buy it as if like you're just like going to the store and buying verification and then change your handle to whatever it is, which is obviously fraudulent, right? I can say I'm Coca-Cola official when I'm not Coca-Cola official. And I think that that was the main problem for me. But I think that, yeah, anyone who wants to get a blue check mark, blue check mark should just mean I am who I am, right? It, it should mean I'm not hiding behind some, you know, hidden account or I, I don't have like a shadow account that I'm using. It means I am who I am. I am the business I say I am. I am the person I say I am. I think that's all that verification should mean. Uh, but I know that we, we, we differ on that a little bit. Well, I, I, it's not that we differ per se, but I'm looking at it from a different angle. Do I agree with you that verification means, should mean that I am who I say I am? Maybe, but that's not, that's out of the question for me because verification means that you're a notable person. That's what verification to me in my head, I have been calibrated to believe and think. You're a notable person. And we kind of went back and forth about this, about like a trustworthy person. Trustworthy wasn't even the right point because I know there's a lot of verified people that I do not trust on Twitter. So verification in my head has meant notable. You've both confirmed you are who you are and you're notable in some way. Back to one of my favorite dictators, like the Grand Ayatollah of Iran, he's notable in some distinct way and that's why he's verified. Having Elon put a price tag on the verification effectively changed the definition of what it means to be verified. It didn't mean what you think it should mean, which is I am who I say I am because we have fake Coca-Cola accounts and fake Tesla accounts. And it also meant you're, no, you're not notable because anybody could pay the $8. So he failed in so many ways, but one, if he wanted to do this right, all he had to do was change the definition of what verified means. And all you have to do is prove you are who you say you are, and now you're verified in $8 a month, and I'd be all for that. 
you know what I mean? But yeah. he didn't change. He didn't change the definition of verified. He just kind of added a price tag on it. And now anybody with a blue check in my head still, that means that person's notable. But that's not what it means anymore. It means you have eight dollars in your bank account. Yeah, and it's funny because I know that Elon Musk is trying to be the great equalizer, but by putting a price tag on verification, he's actually just stratifying you know the people who have eight dollars a month to spare and not. So that's that's actually it, it, it's interesting how it's counterproductive. Yeah. In a way. Like you say, you want to be verified, then pay for it. And I thought that was like a cool way to stick it to the celebrities. But at the same time, it's like, well, now who actually is going to be verified? It's going to be trolls, number one. Number two, it's going to be people who are self-important, like myself. I would totally buy verification. <laughs> um, but also, it, it opens the door to so many issues. Like, like if someone makes an account that says CNN, buys a verified badge, and then they could start saying whatever it is. It's like it's like a phishing scam. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you get those emails that look like they came from PayPal, but they did not come from PayPal. It's like that's the problem i think that that's a problem it's a misinformation problem and it's a it's a fraud problem and um it's gonna be interesting how how he solves that but with all the policy changes um with the new leadership with all of elon musk's tweeting and firings um a couple of celebrities have announced that they're going to leave twitter now it, it hasn't been a lot it hasn't been the wave of celebrities it hasn't been a you know celebzig so, like Brexit. Celebs it. Yeah, Brexit. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I, I tried to say celebrity exit. It hasn't been that, but um, there have been some very notable ones. So, for example, Gigi Hadid, Whoopi Goldberg, and on the list, when I was reading through the next one, I recognized was Tony Braxton, which is not even that high profile, but like high profile enough that I recognize the name. I actually have no idea who Tony Braxton is. I, I think maybe a singer. I'm unsure, but I saw the name and I was like, okay, that's the third one I'm going to put on this list. Um, so again, it hasn't been super notable people, but like to me, like is this a tantrum? Um, are they hurting themselves more than they're hurting Twitter? Like, wh why do you think celebrities are leaving? I don't know if tantrum is the right word. Um, I think people who are choosing to leave Twitter right now are kind of looking at themselves and looking at Twitter and what Twitter is looking to become or has become, depending on how you're looking at it, and saying Twitter's value systems no longer align with mine. Now, do I agree with that? Absolutely not. Because if you're using a Twitter, if you're using a social media platform to evaluate your value systems, I think you have other places that need to be reevaluated. But do I get it? Yes. I have friends who left Twitter just a few days ago, and I completely get it. They don't support Elon. They don't like Elon. They don't agree with how he's doing verifications. They don't like the fact that he fired half of the uh, his employees. They don't like the fact that he's... I mean... It, Let's just be honest, it's a mess. It's a mess with the way he's acquiring it. We also know that he didn't actually want to buy Twitter because after he put in his offer, he had to sh sell a bunch of Tesla stocks to be able to afford Twitter. Because I, I don't know if this is true, this is my conspiracy theory, but I actually think he did the first offer to buy Twitter as a publicity stunt because yeah. we know he likes attention. It, this, is not, this is not breaking news. We know he likes attention. We know he thrives off of it. Tesla stocks do better when he's doing better. He is his brand. He is his company's brand. So I think he's smart enough to understand that and to acknowledge that and to use it to his to his, his advantage. And I think this was a big oopsie daisy that happened and he's trying to embrace it. But he, you know, fired thousands of people. Twitter is a mess. And you have this social media platform that took years to build and was at some point or another notable and trustworthy and where people would go to voice their opinions like you said it's the public forum and now it's a mess and i think 
it's been downgraded in people's eyes, at least in my eyes. I'm still on it. I'm still tweeting. I'm still liking and retweeting. But it's it's become of a, a little bit of a joke, honestly. 10% of a joke after Elon's taking it over and the way he's, he's treating it. Do you agree? I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not exactly on Twitter, but I, that actually leads me to, to my next question, which is, well, what changes have you seen? There haven't been any glaring issues, right? It's not like I'm seeing something more specifically or something less specifically. I did see a bunch of more blue checks from people who don't need to have blue checks, um, like the Coptic meme accounts that I follow. I don't need those to be notable. I don't need those to be who they say they are. I follow you for memes. You're a meme account. I don't need you to be verified. Um, I am seeing just a little bit. I, my, my Twitter feed is kind of an echo chamber because I just follow Middle East stuff, diplomats and uh, journalists and people who write and read about the Middle East. So I kind of, my Twitter feed changes very little, uh, even when you factor in other, other things that are happening. Um, I am seeing people being a little bit more brazen, like saying things that they wouldn't otherwise say on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure if that's uh, a bias that I'm like, I think it's going to happen, therefore I think I see it more, or if it's actually true. Um, but other than that, it hasn't really changed. I feel like its demeanor, its ethos changed because of how Elon is kind of just doing things and then undoing them, firing people, then asking them to come back the next day, having $8 verified blue check marks and then stopping it after two days. That fluctuating nature makes it way less stable and way less attractive as a consumer. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Again, I'm, I'm not on Twitter, but like I definitely, um, I definitely feel that it's prestige as a, you know, a place where people used to go to get their news or this or used for activism purposes. Now it's kind of become um, almost like more meme Yeah. Um, or, or at least that's how it looks to someone on the outside who, who's not in the Twitter sphere. I'm going to start a Twitter campaign to make you get on Twitter. Guys listening to this, bombard Adela's DMs what? with... What? <laughs> Look, I, I think I'm a really beautiful person. Wouldn't you rather see the avocado <laughs> for breakfast than hear me like tweet like, I had XYZ today. Like, you don't want to hear I had avocado toast. You, you know you can tweet pictures too, right? That's not... I did not know that. Okay. Are you serious? <laughs> well, I knew, I knew like you could like tweet... Yeah, I guess I did know that. But like, is it used for that? Like, do people tweet? Yeah, you can tweet like, pictures and then like the... the it's even more like your captions more present on Twitter because it's the tweet and then the pictures attached as opposed to Instagram where the picture is there first and then the captions there. You know, I think you'd really enjoy it, Adela. Everyone says I would enjoy I, I feel like I'm too late to the party. Uh. No, no, no. You have to come now. Okay, Elon will follow you. You can Elon. follow the Ayatollah and he'll, you'll be his favorite Jew. I oh, bet you that. <laughs> I can I can count how many dirty Jew comments I got, and then I can yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that 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 makes sense. It makes sense that that that's you know the change you've seen. But like, what what are you expecting out of Twitter? I, I my expectations are low, and they're being met because there's <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not looking for anything special out of Twitter. I'm looking to hear people's random thoughts. I follow this our, our, our mutual friend actually, Hussein Abu Bakr. Mm -hmm. Egyptian guy. So we both know this guy, awesome guy. You guys should follow him on Twitter. He tweets like long threads, threads about the Middle East and history and Judaism and Islam and Coptic stuff. And he just married a Copt and he's just a really great stand-up guy. 
and he tweets a bunch of these cool things but today i saw him tweet something like um do you guys think hors d'oeuvre servers get uh, a little sad when you don't take their hors d'oeuvre <laughs> like that's the stuff i go to twitter for like yes yeah. intellectual stuff but also just random thoughts that people have because i definitely had thoughts about hors d'oeuvre servers like if yeah. i were an hors d'oeuvre service server i'd be really particular about what tray i would pick what up tray? yeah like, I'd like i'm not hot dogs over like some weird thing no one's gonna take exactly like the, yeah. you know those cucumber cream cheese things absolutely not i'm yeah, not serving you don't them want to be the cucumber no, no. girl mm -mm. if anything if anything you want to be like the little toast with cream cheese and then a little bit of lox yes one, like that 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 would be fine but no mini mm -hmm. hot dogs definitely for the win I think mini hot dogs tuna tartare is good tuna tartare is good spring tartar. rolls are good but don't give me that cucumber crap don't, no, no, no. My pride would take such a hit. Like my ego, everything. I would be deflated. Cucumber girl. Fun, fun note. I, this just actually popped into my head. So that kind of content um, is kind of gonna make a comeback on Twitter. Um, big comeback in terms of Vine. I think that um, Elon Musk mm -hmm. put out like a like poll saying like, should we bring back Vine? And um, you know, for people who are not familiar with Vine, Vine was like the precursor to TikTok. It was like seven second long videos and they were like hilarious and chaotic and funny and weird. And I quote them every single day, like free Shavakadu, like road work ahead, sure hope it does. Like, look at all those chickens. Like, <laughs> sure so many Vines are just like in your head. Like, you know, <laughs> I quote them all the time. And um, I think that if Elon brings back Vine, it could be the first real competition to TikTok because I know that like mm. Instagram is trying to do reels and Snapchat is trying to do shorts and YouTube and whatever. But I think like Vine already has like the, like literally even on TikTok, people would be like, this has Vine energy. Like mm. that's a phrase that people say, oh, this has Vine energy. So, right. um, you know, maybe Twitter can become a fun place for everyone who might not like reading and writing like me, you know, like maybe like they like videos the way I like videos. Um, so maybe that, that'll be a place where TikTok is going. Um, that'd sorry. be pretty cool. No, that would be so cool. Cause I would love to see something compete with TikTok. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. Um, but you know, I think I'm ready to ask for your concluding thoughts on, on this topic. So in, in thinking about all of this and kind of just trying to gather our thoughts for this episode, um, the one thing that's so glaring in my face, in my heart is that the rich will not save us. Um, in times of crisis, whether it be like a COVID pandemic or the Ebola or, or HIV or, or any of these like health or otherwise moments of crisis that we face as a civilization, I think it's natural to look to the rich and wealthy for help. And it's human nature too. It's, it's not a flaw or a fault. Um, we associate success with wealth. And if we think a person is wealthy or we know a per person is wealthy, we think obviously they've had to have some sort of smarts or knowledge or know-how that I don't to make them rich and successful. But I think waiting for the rich, whether it's Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or any other billionaire, insert name here, to, to save us um, from our many wrongdoings um, is nothing but a pipe dream. Mm. Um, you can call it na being naive, you can call it being young, or you can call it a combination of the two. But I really do believe in institutions and you can even say, I believe too much in institutions. It's, it's a flaw, um, partly because I don't think the rich can save us and partly because I don't want the rich to save us. Mm. I believe in social contracts between citizens and their governments, between a citizen and another citizen. And I think once we 
give that up for something else, perhaps a billionaire trying to save us from a health pandemic or a, you know, freedom of speech pandemic, if you want to call it that, we give up all responsibility and we give up all power. Institutions, as flawed as they may be, they still are for the people, by the people. A billionaire, Elon Musk, getting to call the shots on what he considers is hate speech or not hate speech or freedom of speech or lack thereof, it, it's just, it makes me itch, it makes me uncomfortable and I, I don't want to place, I don't want to give up that power hmm. no matter what the alternative is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you agree? What do you think? I think, I think you said it very well, I'd rather be beholden onto an institution which is beholden to the people and that I know that's something I can participate in um, to an extent than beholden to a billionaire that I'll never reach, right? And even mm -hmm. if I could reach, I'll never change their mind. And, uh, you know, that, that actually has me thinking, um, you know, not, not for a, my, my dying words when it comes to convincing people on being a freedom of speech absolutist. Um, not that it makes me glad that Elon is owning Twitter, um, but I, it makes me in a way glad that he has a vision of freedom of speech because what happens when you don't have freedom of speech in some sort of absolutist way is um, you, for example, ban Donald Trump, right? Mm. And then Donald Trump goes and creates his own platform called Truth Social, which is very much beholden onto Donald Trump. And if you say something about Donald Trump on that platform that Donald Trump doesn't like, odds are he's going to send you to, you know, Truth Social jail and you'll, you'll never get your account reinstated, right? I'd rather be beholden to the idea of freedom of speech where we have the power of fighting speech with more speech than to just kick people out. And that's, mm. that's, that's something I, I, I think about um, quite a bit, right? Like, why am I a freedom of speech absolutist? Because I'm afraid that my speech might be banned one day. Right. So I'd rather, like, it's very, very um, I think it was the NAACP, right? Or the ACLU, I can't remember which of the two, but they used to say, um, I might disagree with what you're saying, but I'll fight for your right to say it, right? right. And I think that that's, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Um, because I don't want to be beholden to the whims of, um, you know, a person. I'd rather that person commit themselves to freedom of speech. And at least that way you kind of know what you're getting, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Amen to Otherwise, that. Yeah. Donald Trump is going to keep saying whatever he's going to say, but he's going to say it on Truth Social and we'll never hear it. Yeah. Right. And, and it'll, it'll only hurt the thing that you claim to value so much because now he's saying in a vacuum to people who only hear him as opposed to on Twitter where um, you're going to have people disagree with him on his page, but it's on a somewhat neutral platform that all they do is uphold what you're saying as opposed mm -hmm. to support it or not support it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think in, in a way it's nice to air out the laundry. Yep, yeah, get it all out so we can deal with it. Get it all out so we can deal with it. So, you know, hopefully catch me on Twitter one day following my BFF, the Supreme Leader of Iran. <laughs> that's Clarible. the takeaway of this episode. Uh, that's the takeaway of this episode. No, but thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next week.